Welcome to the Lee Schools TV podcast. I'm Adam Wright. Joining us today is Mark Drew, Engineering and Design Academy teacher at Ida Baker High School. Mark, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, brother. Yeah. Uh, before we get, begin, I want to apologize in advance. I'm feeling a little under the weather, so if I look a little glossy-eyed okay. or anything during the podcast, just feeling a little under the weather. But uh, I am excited, and I know you've, you're a guy with a lot of energy, so yes, I'm sir. counting on you to bring the energy and help keep me, <laughs> keep me going. Uh, so engineering and design, like I said, we're going to talk about some really cool things that you're doing with students and what you teach your students over at Ida Baker. Uh, before we begin, though, you are what we call a career changer, right. right? So you you have not been a teacher your entire no. professional life. Had no thoughts or ambitions or aspirations of ever becoming a teacher. Never. And I think that's most of us in society. We grow up and we just want to go live our lives, make our money, and be happy. It's like, that's not about giving back to the rest. I want to teach kids. I have my own kids. Why do I want to teach more? But yeah, I'm a career changer. And that just came about because of, I think, my kids and just growing older. Yeah. You know, as I was an engineer on the job site, I made great money, you know? And it was nice. And I was applying my math and my science, but I didn't feel like I was making a difference in the community. You know, I had a little girl at the time, my first one, Shay, she's 10 now. That was 10 years ago. It's long I've been in education. And and the heart changed. That's that's my story. My heart changed and I wanted to give back. I wanted to inspire the youth to, to go out and be engineers as well, to be whatever they wanted to become in this world. And that's what sort of drove me into teaching. Um, so what, what, what was your job before you got into teaching? Was it, I have a construction manager at a water reclamation facility in Cape yes. Coral? Yes. So my... Engineering career started with site planning for a few years. And then um, as the market turned, I went from site planning and I got fortunate with a position of, with MWH over at the reclamation facility, Southwater, Southwest Water Reclamation Facility, doing construction management duties. I'll be honest, I was not the construction manager, but construction management were my duties, responsibilities. So it was a lot of client meetings, a lot of contractor meetings, and pretty much just making sure it's built to design because we had a design side and then we had the on-site side. So I was on-site. And then we had a design team off of Del Prado handling the drawings and stuff. So did you and did you like doing that? How long did you do it, that for? It was awesome, man. You're literally getting paid to hop on a golf cart and ride around a construction site taking pictures. You know what I mean? True, there's work. You're writing reports. You're doing budgets. You know, it's a lot of money you're dealing with. We're talking about millions of dollars. So it can be stressful at times, but it's enjoyable. I enjoy things being built. I enjoy technology and I'm watching this huge system go up around me and it's like, whoa, um, I would have stuck with it. But the next, I think what comes with construction, we have to understand is the time frame. Construction projects only last for so long. Mm -hmm. So when that job was over, the next piece would have been in Tucson, Arizona. Uh. And with the baby on the way, I was not ready to make that move. So that's when I started the soul searching and saying, what do I want to do? And that's sort of what led me into this field of education. So we'll get back to that in a second. But first, where where did you grow up? I grew up in Evanston, Illinois, suburb of Chicago. It's a Northwestern University. That's where it's at, Evanston, Illinois. Okay. So I'll tell people I grew up in Chicago because they don't know Evanston. But I think it's pretty much a Chicagoland idea or thing that we all do. If you're born in the birds of Chicago, you just tell people, I'm from Chicago. <laughs> so what, uh, what brought you to Florida and when? Do we have enough time in the podcast for that? <laughs> Nutshell, if uh, you can. In a nutshell, from Chicago, um, I left Chicago at the age of 14 okay. to um, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Grandparents retired. Pretty much my whole family moved. 
Um, this is actually life changing because I was getting in a lot of trouble as a Chicago youth. This is your typical kid who didn't know what he was. And um, this is part of the story I really want to tell to my students, I want to tell to the world. It was Mrs. Crane in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in my geometry class, who saw something in me that no one else saw. And she literally inspired me to take geometry and algebra two at the same time in order to take AP calculus as a senior. And this set me up to be an engineer in college. And it's like, wow. It took a teacher to see something that I didn't see, my mom didn't see, my peers didn't see, and to push me to that next level. So even as an engineer, I knew in the back of my mind how important teaching was. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool, a little caveat. But that was the way. And from Tennessee to Florida, that's just one of those, hey, you graduate college, now I need a job. The boom was happening. So I came here for the money. Mm-hmm. And we see how that ended up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, were, I mean, were you always interested in, in math and engineering? Because, I mean, you're obviously – uh, you seem very extroverted to me, and uh, uh, maybe people who think of math people and engineers might not picture a guy like you with you know all this energy and really outgoing. So, were you always into this, or yes, yeah, I've always been a tech kid. You know, playing with Legos. I guess the kids do Minecraft now. You know, <laughs> it's not Legos anymore. Yeah. Uh, Legos and just technical and just logical thinking and trying to build. Math was always been my strong suit and it still is, but I love people. Mm-hmm. And even as an engineer in school, you know, I was always gravitating towards the people I knew. I was not your typical pocket protector here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nothing against. Nothing against pocket protectors, guys. <laughs> but I feel, or I felt and I still feel, that we put, again, labels and boxes and it's, I want to be that person who can show the world that you can be an engineer and you can be a little loose around the edges. Yeah. You can have fun. Yeah. You can listen to hip hop music and still, you know what I mean? Have a degree in engineering. Just, we have to break past those labels and just explore our passions in any way we want to do, you know? So yes, I'm not your typical engineer, (laughs) but I've always been pretty passionate about people. That's cool. Uh, Okay. So you didn't want to move to Arizona. You uh, had a, a baby on the way or had just yes. had a baby. Um, so how did you, what was your first uh, job in education? All right. First job in education. Oh, this is such a great story. So as you're having this epiphany on this construction site, I'm like, oh, I, gotta, I want to change the world and be a motivated. How do I, how do I motivational speak? And let's be honest. The thought I had was how can I get paid to talk to people? I want to get paid to talk. Um, I had done pretty many, various presentations around the community. By the uh, way, you're doing this podcast for free. Exactly. Just, this is true. Disclaimer. This is true. <laughs> and uh, uh, perform with the band Strange Arrangement. So I'm a performing artist. I've been a performing artist for years. Well, how did I take? How do I take that energy and actually turn it into a career? And the answer I was given was start by teaching. Get into the community. Start making connections. And that's where I said, okay, let me try this. So I went on the district website. I looked at possible job openings, and I'm thinking, I'm an engineer. I can be a math teacher. So I literally applied for every math position I could see on that site, and I would wait, and months later, the rejection emails would come. <laughs> Thank you, and they're all the same letter, just changed the name of the school. I was like, ah, oh, what was me? But something, I kept sticking with it, and I found a drafting position, and it was at Fort Myers High. Sure. Go Green Wave. Go Green Wave. So again, I applied for drafting. I know drafting, I'm an engineer. For those who don't, it's drawing pretty much. The only difference between technical design and art 
are the dimensions, precision. Like blueprints and stuff? Yes. And um, went in for my interview. I interviewed with Dr. Court Mora, and she took a chance with me. She took a chance with me, and let's just say it all worked out. She hired me. I worked at Fort Myers for what? I think my first seven years, and now I'm on my third at Ida Baker High. Nice. Uh, so one thing I so one of our student interns here in the uh, production department did a story on you. Went out to visit Ida Baker, and I was watching it. And one of the things that you that jumped out at me is a something that you said was I got quoted it right here. You said, quote, anytime I get an opportunity to relate and compare engineering to how we are as humans, I jump on it. What do you mean by that? I mean, well, the engineering design process starts with defining the problem. Well, our life is a series of problems. You know, we, we encounter things and we're quick to rush and say what we can't do. Well, why don't we slow down and define it first? And that's what I'm trying to get my students to figure out. Well, before you can jump in and pick a career, what's the problem? What is the problem here? Do you do we need a career? Is it for the happiness? Is it, is it for the pay the bills? Let's focus on the end goal, and then we can work our way there. That's sort of what I mean. Um, with a quick example, relating engineering to life, we're studying stress. Stress is equal to force over area. So you take a force and divide it by the area. That's how you get pounds per square foot. Well, this relates to your life, because the greater the force. Mm the greater the stress. Yeah. How do you reduce the stress in engineering? Well, we distribute the load by increasing the area. And I told my students, well, this is what they need to do in life. You need to distribute the area. So if I give you an assignment, and let's just say it's a paper, don't wait to the last minute. Do the work over the course of time that's been given, a week, a month, whatever is given. But we always wait to that last minute to get it, and it becomes so stressful, and we break. And you have to distribute the load, even as adults, as a mom listening to this, distribute the load. She feels she has to do everything. She has to get them there on time. She has to make sure they're fed. She has to make sure she has all the folders signed, you know, and she has to get in car line, not last, but be in there somewhere, you know, in the middle. And it's like, distribute that load. Find help within the family, within your, within your circle, within your friends to distribute that load and reduce the stress. I mean, this is a lesson we all can learn. And we know it, though. We know you don't walk it on that ice. You spread yourself out, right? And you go you gently. And that's what I mean by relating engineering to life. All these principles can be applied to our lives, but we just have to embrace them and we have to want to change. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about what, what you do at Ida Baker, mm -hmm. uh, the Engineering and Design Academy. What kinds of things do you teach your students? Well, other other than engineering, of course, but I mean, I'm no, I don't know much about engineering. I mean, I know generally what it is, but uh -huh. tell me, you know, um, some specific things that you work with, uh, you teach your students. Well, specifically, like yesterday, the whole word was empathy. Like, that has nothing to do with engineering. But empathy. Um, I focus more on making well-rounded, critical thinkers. Uh, I like to say decent human beings. Before I get to my curriculum of actually talking about forces and stresses and 3D modeling, um, what's in my curriculum is 3D modeling. That is the brunt of it and the course of it is technical design and the math that supports it. So we're trying to get a student who's used to an art class to be comfortable now drawing on a computer and creating a blueprint of some sort. Now, some may go the architectural route, some may go the manufacturing route, but still you have to make something now that is going to be built mm -hmm. in this real world. That's the idea. 
Um, when it comes to the math concepts in engineering, I don't get too in-depth because a lot of times it's based upon prerequisites. So if a student is in, currently in algebra, I can't jump him up to that pre-calculus level and jump it into SOHCAHTOA. <laughs> Sine, opposite over hypotenuse, cosine, adjacent over, okay. Yeah, oh yeah, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that stuff. So really it's just the basics of how to draw on a computer. That's where they start at level one. By level three, I want my students making their own designs. And I don't care if it's a building, I don't care if it's a part, I don't care if it's a video game, but it needs to be something that reflects them and their passions where they can be happy and say, I made that. Hmm. Because we have so much destruction in the world. Let's start creating again. So you use a lot of 3D printers. Oh, yes. So I've always been fascinated by 3D printers, and I know they've been around for a while and they've gotten more advanced, And but I've always just kind of wanted to know how the heck they work. Mm -hmm. um, so can you can you explain uh, Definitely. How, just how a 3D printer works? Um, so my kids, we build the models. We can, I can't tell you how the computer does the calculus. <laughs> we click our buttons, move our mouse, we do our drawings, we extrude shapes, and we send this shape to a printer. So then what this printer has to do, it has to break each layer of that shape or each, yeah, I would say layer into a design, into a path per se. And um, what it does, it lays it out like icing on a cake. So if you were to imagine the baker layering, doing a layered cake with icing, that is literally how it's laying it out. Ooh. So it's just like spitting out plastic? Spitting out plastic in a small stream of 1.75 millimeters at a time. That is literally the... But really fast, right? No. No? Really well, slow. So each... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I know it takes hours to, yes. to make something. I guess what I was trying to say about 1.75 millimeters per... Like how fast can it do... It is 1.75 millimeters. In, well, like how many, how many seconds... It would be hard to measure. Okay. Because when I say 1.75 millimeters, yeah. I'm speaking more of the diameter yeah, okay. of the filament. Coming okay. out. Oh, gotcha. All right. The thickness of the layer it's laying, that can be adjusted. Okay. So usually you're laying down anywhere between 0.2 and 0.3 millimeter thick layers. And mm -hmm. it just keeps layering up, layering up, layering up. Also, when we're talking about time, how big is the print? How mm -hmm. wide yeah. is it? Mm -hmm. So not the fastest technology, but very innovative. Yeah. And I feel it's user friendly. Mm -hmm. um, I feel we have a lot of room for advancement. And I think really just giving the kids the opportunity to get in there and understand it and build the designs, that's going to put them in the forefront for what's coming around the corner. And it's coming. What do you, th you think is around the corner? Oh, I mean, you go on YouTube now, you're, you're, you're seeing 3D printers with concrete. Um, there's 3D printers with stem cells, how scary that is, like wow. Dr. Frankenstein type <laughs> stuff. You can 3D print with, with wood. Like, what? Really? I had to go, I'm like, how do you 3D print with wood? And apparently they're using yeah, only uh, ever wood shavings and adhesive. So if you can get something into a powder, into a dust form, and add adhesive, you're printing with it. And I'm like, wow. So this is where we're going. Yeah. And um, I, I envision this world where the price comes down. We all have these objects in our house, and then something breaks, and you just, oh, man, print yourself a new whatever it may be. Like the Jetsons. You know, but are you going to have to buy it from somebody? Or will you be the one who says, you know what? I can design my own yeah. and just print it. And that's where I want my students. I want my students and all students of Lee County to be in a position to where they're in control of their own future. I don't want them to be consumers. I don't. I have an issue with consumerism. 
I want them to be producers. I don't want them to be on the team. I want them to own, own the team. I don't want them to play video games. I want them to make video games. So it's like this whole paradigm shift. And I don't think a lot of our students or even adults for that matter realize they have the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. They don't want to play the game. No, own the game. <laughs> so, and I know, so 3D printers, 3D printing is relatively you said user-friendly, mm-hmm. relatively think, easy to learn. Because I remember, so first time I met you was at STEMtastic, not this past one, but uh, over a year ago. Um, and you brought some 3D printers. Yeah. And I remember seeing, uh, you know, little elementary school students learning how to use 3D printers. So they can learn at a pretty young age how, yes. to, how to do this. You don't have to be in high school. You do not have to yeah. be in high school. Take notes. If you are sitting behind a computer, you have a piece of paper, write this down. Tinker CAD. Tinker CAD, it's an Autodesk product. You can download it for free. I mean, elementary school students can get in there. It's basic, it starts with shapes. You grab your shapes and start forming them together. And that is a great place to start until you work your way on up to things like um, SolidWorks. We use Inventor software. And that, it's really more based on you, your input. The, the primitives aren't provided. But what you're saying, yeah, it's true. These kids can get started as soon as five. Wow. You know, if they can move a mouse and click, you know, some of this stuff can probably be done on an iPad, mm. you know, but all I ask is that we give them the opportunity. Let them go. Let them fly. So how much freedom do you give to your students? Like, What, what kind of things do you say to them? All right, you're going to make something with a 3D printer. You do all the design work and all that. Um, do you let them choose what they what they create? You got that right. What kind of things do they make? Uh, There's a Christmas ornament in my room right now that says, Gucci Christmas. And I'm like, okay. And they all love that. Apparently it's some Gucci, 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 Gucci gang or something. I don't know. Um, I just printed two logos. Um, I have two student, high school students who did it on their own. They came up with a logo for a t-shirt company. They just printed that. Um, the Right before that came off the printer was a rectangular prism with three holes in it. And I'm like, why am I printing a rectangular prism with three holes in it? And the student reassured me that this piece that he made is going to fix something in his garage door. So <laughs> hopefully when I get to school next week, he'll have a picture for me yeah. showing me how this printed plastic piece fixed his garage door. Um, I've had students do swords, like cosplay swords. I had a request for a 300 helmet. A guy wants to do a Spartan helmet. It's going to have to be put into pieces. Um, my projects that I assign to them, typically real simple, I start with ornaments around Christmas time, um, keychains from a level one, it's just real simple stuff that they can get a feel of it because like I said, it's not fast. What's the craziest thing that any one of your students has ever made that maybe, you know, took the longest or something like that? You know, it wasn't the craziest thing that they made. I think it's one of the most impressive things that I've seen come off the printer are the prosthetic hands. Mm. Those are just, it's like, wow, we can do that with these machines. Yeah. And did you are, see the the story that we did at uh, Sunshine Elementary with little Dulce? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was cool. Those are amazing. I mean, it's a 19-hour print, but that's something that can go change somebody's life. Yeah. To me, that was the most amazing thing with the printer. Um, other things are just moving parts. Like you can print with moving parts and hinges and interlocking chains. You're like, how is that possible? But it's all about how you set it up, a little critical thinking, mm-hmm. and you're in there. Um, oh, the kids are wild. You know, or they always try to print who knows what, you know, inappropriate stuff. And you got to put the brakes on that. But they're kids, <laughs> yeah. man. They have imaginations. That they're going to run wild. So uh, another thing I wanted to talk about was it seems like you have a love of music. Oh, yeah. 
because in the story that our intern did on you, it starts off with you playing the ukulele and singing, I mm -hmm. think just riffing um, some random lyrics that just popping into your head. But so do you, uh, do you bring the ukulele into the classroom a lot? You got that right, man. Um, music's always been a passion of mine. Even to the story I talked about, Miss um, Crane pulled me out of geometry and put me in algebra two. Well, she didn't pull me out of geometry. I had to actually drop course. Like I was a chorus kid and I had to drop chorus to do. So I felt like engineering made me put music to the side. And uh, as soon as I got out of school, I started getting into the open mic scenes and doing poetry and, and rapping. And I'll be honest, I was a rapper. I was, I was a rapper. I'm a hip hop kid. I grew up rapping and I had to hone that and develop it into poetry as I broadened my perspective. I didn't, again, I didn't know what I was capable of as most students and youth don't. Um, from there, it branched out into even more. I had always sung, but then it's like I wanted to learn an instrument. So I started playing with the band Strange Arrangement. And the ukulele thing all started with the kids. That was all students. I don't know where the ukulele craze came from, but I think it's about five years ago and half the, half the school is walking around with ukuleles. I'm like, what is going on? And my students at Fort Myers High taught me how to play the ukulele. They taught me a chord a week. I'd play it. I'd go home, practice it on my daughter's little Minnie Mouse toy ukulele and I I just fell in love with it I fell in love with it so much that I went and bought myself a little rinky dink $40 ukulele only to have them one up me and my students bought me a $100 ukulele the one that's always seen in the videos and yeah I carry it around the class as much as I can I'll say my cheap $40 one was broken in class so so I'm that went to one so they bought you a new one after it broke Oh, <laughs> I wish. But I guess I, I say this to say that now I'm down to one ukulele. I can't leave it at school because then if I did that, my kids at home would miss out. So I love singing songs uh, with my daughter. So it's back and forth. So I'm not the crazy ukulele guy in the hall every day, but I try to bring it out when I can, sing a couple songs, uplift the spirits of the students, uplift the spirits of the teachers, and just try to make school an enjoyable place. Uh, another quote that I... I pulled from the story that you said is you said you're not the greatest at lesson planning uh you're not the greatest at organization uh so what would you say your your strengths are <laughs> my strength is giving my all just giving my all it's giving my all my strength is um being human um this is something i've had to develop um being authentic my passion and in one word my my ability to empathize mm -hmm. that is my strength yeah to be able to just understand people and then work with them and dude it's it's a hard burden to live with trying to understand people man because we're all from different perspectives but i get it and and i have so much hope for this world and such a better just educational system where we're working together, lifting each other up and we're taking off the labels and, and we're, we're reaching out to understand perspectives, not jamming perspectives, but understand perspectives. And I see adults not even doing that. So how can we expect the students to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's, that's my gift. Lesson yeah. planning is not me. I do my best to stick to the curriculum, but I can't force a curriculum down your throat when I see that you haven't eaten last night. I can't talk about engineering right now when I understand there's other issues going on up here. I teach at the moment. Teachable moments are where, where you're going to find me. 
I'm going to provide for your child, if your child's one of my students, what they need at that moment. Yeah. It's not about me. It's about the kids. And I guess that's what I was saying in that statement. Sometimes I have to step away from the curriculum and I have to step into human mode. I'm not going to say dad because I'm not their dad. I guess maybe I'm Uncle, Uncle Drew. Uncle, Uncle mode and start giving life lessons. Yeah. And that's where we talk about empathy, understanding each other. That was the word of yesterday. It came up again today. So obviously it means something because we're at this time of the year in this country. We're about to celebrate um, it's the Easter season. Mm-hmm. And this is about a story of this all-knowing infinite being like Thanos with the, with the infinity rings, right? And he can do anything. And what does he do? Instead of snapping, he snaps and goes to the lowly places. What? And they wrote a whole book about this, about all infinite Thanos, for lack of a better word, a word that might offend someone, coming down into this mortal lowly form yeah. to experience that. And half of that book is about that. Yeah, I think I've heard of that book. Uh, Amazing, man. Empathy. Yeah, you, and you said it's it's key to be understanding, and I, I feel like there's such a need, you know, in 2019 for for healthy debate and just conversation yes. and, and listening to people who may have different perspective on life or different, you know, thoughts on you know all sorts of different mm-hmm. things. And and I had the word authentic written down, and you've already mentioned it before. And it seems, you know, really important to you to be authentic. What, what, what does authenticity mean to you to be authentic? It means I'm taking off my mask. I'm not wearing my social mask anymore. We're all wearing them. And, and we discussed this in class. Um, we live up to a standard that was provided for us or, or we have to be a certain way, whether it's a boy or a girl or black or white. It's crippling. Mm-hmm. I had to grow up as an African-American male with a bunch of labels that didn't fit me. Like even to this day at 38, I have students who, who are like, wow, you have an education? Because what society has provided for them was not this. I am not the image of what my label should be, a reflection of that. And I, I'm just, I don't fit the stereotype. Mm. I don't. No one fits their stereotypes. And we're all because, individuals. Because we're all individuals. Mm. But yet we're still pushing this stuff. Mm-hmm. into our kids' heads. And that's what I mean by authenticity, breaking through that and saying, this is me. Like, yes, I'm an engineer, but at the same time, I like music. I like people. I play video games. I play uh, City Skylines. I like building games. I play Planet Coaster. Like, people, be authentic. I, when I'm having a bad day, hey, how's it going today? Not too good. Let people know, how can we help each other if we're constantly wearing a mask saying, hey, I'm good, I'm good. Because it's always good. Hey, how are you today? Good, 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 good. That's one of our big things this year is getting rid of that. If you're not good, let people know you're not good so we can work together. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by authenticity. It's not okay. If it's not okay, let me know it's not okay. Because I've done that to myself. I've pretended that it was okay until the point of breaking. And I don't want to see other people do that to themselves. I genuinely know I'm here to help you. So please be authentic with me. I feel the only way I can do that is for me to be authentic with you. So maybe that's what I'm subconsciously doing. I'm trying to reveal all I can of me. Yeah, leading by example. To get more out of my students, to get more out of, out of my colleagues, to even get more out of my family at home. Do you, do you see a change in your students who maybe you, you've never had before, like they're new to your classroom at the beginning of the year? Do you see a change in them from the beginning of the year till the end of the school year? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I won't say all students, but yes. Yeah. Like 
my my prize moments, you know, and I, and I have their head, their names are in my head right now, are those who are in the box. To, I get the quirky kids, for lack of a better word again. They're there. They were in that box. They're, they're, they're playing Minecraft. They're, they're not into girls. You know, they may be into girls, but they're not chasing them. They're not the fastest kids out there. Where do they fit? Where do they belong? And it's funny because I get to give them, it's fun. I give them that validity. Like, I am you. And they get to see themselves in me. They get to see an outward, outgoing version of themselves. And then by the end of the school year, they're outgoing and they're pursuing their passions and they're sharing their projects with each other. And I'm like, that's it. You know, how do we bring this together? And oh, I just can't wait. I have, an, I have this dream, this vision of all the labels, all the kids coming together and what used to be jocks and what used to be nerds and what used to be preps. And they're all just together being kids learning. That's what I want to see. And I always wondered, what came first? Was it the cliche movies of all the different labels and types of kids? Or was that, was that us as a society and then they made movies about that? Yeah, chicken or the egg. Yeah, I, I, I still haven't figured that out, you know? But it's just so, I just find it destructive. Hmm. And that's what I'm trying to destroy. I'm trying to destroy the norms. We're, we're going into a new world or new new age. <laughs> so so how have... So how have you changed as a person since, since becoming a, a teacher? I know that, um, you know, we've had other career changers on the podcast before and, you know, they talk about, you know, they were, they, they were working a different job and they felt like their life was missing some purpose and meaning and they wanted to get into teaching to give them that purpose and meaning. You said you enjoyed, you know, uh, what you were doing uh, when you were an engineer mm -hmm. before getting into education, but how would you, would you say that you, you have more meaning and purpose in life now as a com compared to that? Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, yes. There's a lot more purpose and the meaning is clear. And I can tell you that it, is, it has evolved. It has changed. Um, when I started, yes, teaching, you thought it was about the kids. It's about the kids, about the kids. I'm a teacher, it's about the kids. I'm teaching the kids. I will say in the past year or so, I've understood that it's more than just kids in education. I have a responsibility to help and inspire and push my colleagues as well. I have a responsibility to help push and inspire my administration, my superintendent, and whoever else is involved with education. Because if I want to change the world, I have to change it from all aspects all avenues and help everyone i can help and to push yourself as well I bet. and to push myself and that's funny you mentioned that i was talking with a colleague recently like why are we such big dreamers and shout out to mr green why are we such big dreamers why are we trying to reinvent this thing and ultimately i think we came to the conclusion we need the challenge coming from such a technical field a lot of numbers and I need the challenge to me my classroom curriculum teaching 3d that's easy getting everybody on the same page that's hard yeah so curriculum that's no problem but instilling somebody with the self-confidence to go out and do anything that's the challenge and to do that on a school-wide level well come on let's go uh all right are you um you ready for like a speed round Heck yeah. All right. What's your favorite book? Ah, uh, The Four Agreements. The Four Agreements? Yes. By uh, Ron Miguel Ruiz. I think I got it right. The Four Agreements. Okay. Yes. What's that about? Oh, man. That's the one. It's ancient Aztec wisdom, Toltec wisdom. 
And pretty much this is wisdom they give uh, in the book. He describes it as they give to the young man as they go out into the world. But I read this book in the middle of my transition from engineering into teaching. And the four agreements are as such. Always do your best. We know that. Okay. Yeah. Never take anything personal. Never make assumptions. You know, you're going to put me on the spot here. I got to remember the fourth agreement. Be impeccable with your word. Nice. That's the fourth one. And these agreements you make with yourself to regain control of your life, pretty much. And in this, it talks about the social mask. Because in order to do these things, we have to really be honest with ourselves. And we have to say what we mean. Um, when you go out and do your best, you can't knock yourself for it. Um, when we talk about don't make assumptions, that means I don't know why you do what you do. So when, I, when the kid walking through the hall and you bump into somebody, oh, why'd you do that, dude? You don't know why he did that. He may not have seen you. He may have seen you. I don't know. We, but we were so quick to jump and get in other people's heads, and we know exactly why he cut me off. I know exactly why she didn't turn in that paper. I know exactly why I got that dirty look. And it's like, no, you don't. Slow your roll. So that book really slowed me down a bit and had me thinking, um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's my top one right there. Cool. Uh, I'll look into it. What's your favorite movie or TV show? Remember the Titans is my favorite movie. The Office would be my favorite TV show. The Office is my favorite show as well. Office, oh, I love Our, uh, two guests ago said Remember the Titans for their favorite movie as well. Wow. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I love Denzel, man. Dude. Anything he does is gold. And I'll say it's really not the Denzel part about Remember the Titans. I can say. Yeah. Any movie, and it's that, it's that those those under those racial undertones mm -hmm. of people coming together yeah. and overcoming despite their differences, despite their differences, yeah. those are my favorite movies. Yeah, because they show you what we can do when we work together. Mm -hmm. I love it. Dude. You're gonna bring me to tears just thinking about it. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite song or your favorite you know musical group or artist? Ah, uh, favorite artist, hip hop wise, would be Common. I love Common, rapper Common. Um, I love the Roots. They're a organic hip hop band. Um, but I like all music though. So yeah. it'd be so hard to label it to mm -hmm. one specific artist. Like growing up, I always had my favorite MC, you know, but I never had like my favorite artist. Like, come on, everyone loves Michael Jackson, but I don't, I don't think I can answer that. I could say genre. I can definitely give you genre. Give me some hip hop and jazz. Yeah. All day. Hip hop would get me going. Not that garbage on the radio today, the mumble rap stuff. I'm talking about the conscious stuff with the actual meaning, where they're talking, educating, and uh, some jazz, man, just yeah. to chill out. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, what was your favorite subject in school growing up? <laughs> Math, because it was easy. That's it. Math, because it was easy. What was, your, what was your least favorite subject? English, because they made me read about things I didn't want to read about. Like, and that today is still one of my issues with English. And my English teachers know it. And, um, I, I understand the importance of English. I understand the importance of reading and writing. I can read. I can write. But I will say due to the curriculum that I went through and just how it's set up today, I did not have a passion for reading. And I did not develop a passion for reading until I was able to explore and find out books that I like to read. And I found I like very dry, informational books about myself. Self-help books. Okay. So like The Four Agreements, I love that stuff. Um, the Power of I Am, I love that one. Um, but me reading about some guy in Jersey having party, cocktail parties, The Great Gatsby, that, that didn't reflect me. Hmm. And, and I, when I look back at many of the books I read in English, not many of them reflected me. 
and I feel this is one of the fallbacks in education where we have an opportunity now to really get some self-exploration going and we're getting the kids to look outward. And I understand, I know they need to understand the outside world. I see that. But how can we send them out there when they don't even know how to process it within here and how they relate? And uh, maybe it was my teacher's fault, maybe it was my fault, but I just did not, could not relate myself to any of those books. And I read them all, man, from The Gatsby to The Odyssey to even To Kill a Mockingbird. And that was a great book, but man, looking at the African-American, he's on trial. I'm like, oh, come on, where's the story where I get to triumph, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's like, ah. So yeah, I didn't like English. And then, oh, yeah, English. <laughs> but I will say, that was a great opportunity for me to hone my writing skills. That's where I developed my ability for rapping and poetry because cool. you get those vocabulary words and instead of writing sentences, I was writing rhymes. Nice. <laughs> uh, all right, last one. What, uh, you know, if you could have dinner with anyone, living or dead, who would it be and why? Ah. Oh. You know, putting you on the spot. Anybody. I'm about to say MLK. It's a good one. I'm about to say MLK, dude, because I don't know how, you know, how he did it. So passive. And just easy going. And I see myself following along that side. Um, you have more aggressive types. You have more passive types. And I'm more of a passive type. And I want to know how he was able to maintain that. How, how, do, you, how do you take those blows without fighting back? You know, it's just amazing to me. And, and I would love to hear about the rest of the dream or where he envisioned us going. Um, I feel my generation, I, mean, I was born in the 80s, I feel we sort of lost sight of things. Everything was all good. And TV's around, or watching, and we're eating candy, and Saturday morning cartoons. And then as of late, in the past few years, I think this country's had a wake-up call and said, hold on, we still have some stuff we need to work on. And um, I think that's where we're at today. I think we have a great opportunity to really lead the world, mm. you know, as we've done, and just continue and show them what is diversity? What is unity? What, what is collaboration? What can we do as humans? So really, it's like, it's a human thing now. What can we do as humans? And I feel there are no barriers. There, there, there's no ceiling. With advancements of technology, the only thing holding us back right now are ourselves. Yeah, I think it was MLK who said, I could, I could be butchering this, but it's like intelligence and character is the purpose of education or public education or, oh, or schooling nice. or something like that. I think something like that. So, um, yeah. All right. Anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I was just going to feed off of what you just said about the, the character. That's, yeah. that's what I've learned. Yeah. Like it's not just the reading, writing and arithmetic. Mm. However, that's what we've wanted to do. We want to say school, as a place for reading, writing, arithmetic, character, you're going to get that from your church or synagogue, from, from your mom, your dad, whatever. And that cannot be true. We have to change that. These kids are spending 40 hours a week in this institution. And when we're not going to talk about character, get out of here. We need to be examples of what character is. As a district, I mean, that is our job. It cannot just be reading, writing, and arithmetic anymore. Parents are working plus 40 hours a week, you know just to make ends meet. So if we have the opportunity to provide that for a student, why wouldn't we? And, and I guess there could be room for argument, but what's the argument in integrity? 
and just honesty, prompt, polite, respectful. These are basic character traits that we all can agree upon. Well, let's start exhibiting them. Let's start working on them in school. And my principal asks uh, every year at the end of the year, well, what have you learned? We have this exit interview thing. And I think I blew her mind last year. Like, whoa, what's your big learned? And I say, well, it's about me. It's about being a man. Like, what? I'm 38 now. I think I was 37 when I said it. But I'm still learning at 38 what it is to be a man. Yeah. And, and how to not provide as the sole breadwinner bringing food, but to provide as a rock for all those around me to when they need, when they need comfort, when they need an ear, when it, for whatever it may be to do my job. You know, and that is huge. And I just dream, I pray, I'm hoping for the day that we all get there. And when the district gets there and we say, you know what? We are going to provide these services and we're going to step up and we're going to provide more than what's required. Because right now, school districts are providing the minimum when it comes to counseling, when it comes to character development, when it comes to career um, development. It's all standardized test. Yep, I said it. It's standardized test. It's grades. Yeah, we're talking about attendance now. But why aren't these? There's just so much more. Like, I, I want to get into the communities. Yeah. Like, I want to see our community and our school district like this. Kumbaya, man. I want to see barbecues. Dude, I, I want to see block parties again. I'll, I'll, I want to see it. And I know it's possible. We can do it. We will do it. We with will. your help, you're gonna. We're gonna get it done. <laughs> All right. Well, Mark Drew, I think that's a great place to end it. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a blast. Thanks for having me, brother. All right, and thank you for watching and listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>